Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of The Working Therapist. I'm Hayden Bullock, your host, and today we are so fortunate to have a guest with us, Nikki Curtis. Nikki is a speech therapist here at PDT. We've been working together now for a couple of years, right? Yeah, it's been about two and a half. This August will be three years. Nice. Very mm-hmm. good. It's always a happy day when you get to work with Nikki. Great stuff to PDT. We are so fortunate and blessed to work with her and all her little people that she works with. Oh, are thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. I really enjoy I mean my it. job I mean and it. I hope it shows. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Nikki's got a no joke job though. You work at one of the schools that we contract with right. at PDT here. And that caseload is very large and in charge. Got over 100 kiddos there. You work with another SLP at the school and a speech language pathology assistant. Yes. You have done CFs and you are currently a SLP a supervisor. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to the speech language pathology assistant supervisor and doing working and completing people's being a CF supervisor, clinical fellow supervisor. Also, you've had worked with lots of graduate students, and so you have that as well. Nikki has got a lot going on, and she is definitely a leader. You introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your back. Well, I'll tell you, my yeah. path to speech pathology was um, a non-traditional one. Mm. I got a bachelor's degree in a liberal art at a liberal arts college. It's a liberal arts bachelor's degree. What do you do with that? Well. Hmm. It's a really good question. Maybe let's ask ourselves that. <laughs> I taught high school for a year. I taught high school science for a year and quickly realized that that, that <laughs> was not the path for me. Although I really enjoyed working with the students, it just was not a great fit for me. What kind of um, science? Oh Well, it was. I taught in an optional school. Mm. And so an optional school is a place where students who had been suspended or, you know, they were removed from their home school mm-hmm. for one reason or another, for fighting or other reasons. And so this was kind of like the last chance place. And so it was 8th through 12th grade and and it was all of the sciences and it was an unusual experience. I got a chance to really get to know my students very well and see some of their backgrounds. And But yeah, to see that teaching That's probably cool. wasn't the best path for me personally. Mm. At this time, I'm, I was in Louisiana. I grew up in Louisiana as an Army brat, Fort Polk, and I got my degree at Northwestern State University, my bachelor's degree. But yeah, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with my life, and so I taught science for a while, and then I moved and got a job as a legal secretary. Really? <laughs> now that's a jump, yes, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's a jump. Um, wow, cool. And I did that for about five years and realized that that wasn't quite the path for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did some research and my mother is a special education professional mm-hmm. and I had looked at speech pathology when I was in high school and number when I was in high school a number of years ago. And so kind of came back to that idea. Went to the local college there, University of Louisiana at Lafayette. I was in Lafayette, Louisiana at the time. And sat in some classes and talked to some students and just realized, oh, I think I may have found my people. Mm, <laughs> and so cool. took some prerequisites and just really enjoyed it and dated on. That's awesome. So you don't really scare easy uh, because between like a science teacher and alternative school and a legal secretary for five years, you don't scare easy. <laughs> you know, that whole legal secretary thing. You, yeah. You don't yeah. flinch quick. Well, <laughs> you know, I certainly learned a lot of skills and things about myself that I still use today, you know, about collaboration, about being prepared and organized. And, and also I've learned that I need to be in a profession where I can be creative mm-hmm. and have that 
the ability to really kind of follow my path. Mm-hmm. And speech pathology, in addition to being a wonderful opportunity to make a difference in people's lives, also is fulfilling for me personally. You know, I am at a school, it's a very large school, and we have a large caseload, and there is another full-time SLP and then an assistant that I supervise as well. And so one of the amazing things is that we work in the same room. And so we have opportunities all day long to collaborate. And if we see somebody is struggling to be able to help each other, because I might have a different approach, you know, or someone else might have something in their bag of Right. of tools that they can pop out for us like, oh, right. why don't you try this? That is, that's a great opportunity we have there at that school. So how did you decide to work with children rather than adults? Now, when we have that choice and I feel like at some Actually, point people have yeah. to choose. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, when I first started in graduate school, I had decided I wanted to work with adults. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yes. Huh. And, you know, just I thought that that would be a good fit for me, that I would have an opportunity to help people who maybe had lost Right. Some of their language abilities or the communication skills to kind of rehabilitate that. Yep. And I still do think that is a very valuable part of our field and enjoy my the times that I have worked with adults. But it was during my graduate school clinicals that I had a chance to work with both adults and with children. And I found that I just like to be on the floor and playing and building blocks and drawing pretty pictures while we're working on our goals. And I just found that I had more enjoyment in the sessions and that I, I could see progress with the kiddos because obviously I was enjoying and engaged. They were enjoying it and engaged too. So basically, the whole idea for this podcast came from this amazing therapy session I saw Nikki do. Like, I was just, no, I was really, I'm really not. No, no. (laughs) It was awesome. It was these two little people at this school that I was watching. It was just one of the most gorgeous group therapy sessions I saw. Because really, at this point, you've been doing this with these little people. They're school age. They're third grade. Yeah. These are third graders. They're not little teeny tiny people, but they're not old, old, old people Mm -hmm. either. In our world, they're getting to the older age group. (laughs) But they're not like that old yet. Right. They're not past the cutoff. But They're no. eight, nine years old. Right. Yeah. And so one of them's got some pretty decent health complications kind mm-hmm. of thing. The other one didn't seem to have as many health complications that I could observe. Is that right? Well, I mean, one of my friends has a um, craniofacial disorder. Yes. That affects her ability to even move her articulators to create speech sounds. And then my other friend is, he's a young man who has some articulation goals and some language-based goals, but he's marching toward discharge. So we're working towards that with him. But yeah, mostly we're working on some artic and some formulating sentences with him. But I would say that both, I think, are probably at some point would be labeled severe speech or language. Yeah. For the young lady who has the craniofacial anomalies, I do see her twice a week because of the difficulties that she has with communication. And we developed some really amazing strategies to yes. try to compensate for some of the craniofacial anomalies because we can't change the structures. She's got a really high palate and she can't get really good closure of her mouth. So we're not going to be able to change that. So we developed some compensatory strategies that have really been quite helpful for her. And then the young man who has the articulation and language-based goals, we've been reducing his services over time. So he was severe and he's showing growth. Well, the session I saw was amazing because it was beautiful group session Mm -hmm. where they both are targeting language and speech Mm -hmm. and a functional, normal group social interaction. So you're targeting 
the language goals. You're targeting the speech goals. I didn't know what the language or the speech goals were coming into the situation. But by the end of the session, I could have listed them out, easily written them down, mm -hmm. which means it's a good therapy session. If it's so clear what you're working on, another speech therapist should be able to sort of figure it out. Sure. You know, yeah. so before we get all up in there and steal our thunder, first, describe Sandy Grove Elementary because PDT has a long history working with Hope County Schools and, and this school's it's got a big caseload. So just how about describe this school and maybe where it is and the type of county and that kind of thing. Sure. We're in Lumber Bridge. We're in Rayford, mm -hmm. which is in Hope County, mm -hmm. which is, I'm not from North Carolina, so forgive me, but it's Central West. Yeah. We have a fairly large school. We have, I don't know exactly how many people are at our school, how many students we have, well, have but I know it's over 600. And your preschool Pre-K to five. Mm -hmm. We have two pre-K classrooms there as well. And, and we have two self-contained classrooms also. But I, yeah, there are three of us there, two people full-time, the two speech therapists full-time, and a speech language pathology assistant who's four days a week. We have great teachers at our school and very cooperative principal. Mm -hmm. And everybody's very receptive to pulling children out of classrooms. You know, I mean, they have IEPs, so we are required to see them. But it can be difficult. You know, you have to schedule it and you're disrupting a classroom at times. So we have a really amazing faculty and staff at the school as well who work with us. Make our jobs easier. When I come in, I mean, I'm not new to Sandy Grove, but I'm not a regular face. And so, but they're very nice to me and treat me very, I'm you glad know, to hear that. Yes. And they're, <laughs> but they're not like standoffish right, type of right. school or you don't feel like uncomfortable or out of place. Mm -hmm. One of the key foundations of our profession, I think, is communication. You know, we are speech language pathologists. And so you have to keep those lines of communication open. You know, if you're going to have to change a schedule or you can't see somebody or trying to schedule a meeting, okay. I think it's definitely important to make sure that you're keeping everybody involved, everybody who needs to know about about it involved and then they also know that you value them and they're gonna reciprocate it. So tell everybody so how did you decide to pair these people? Well like we said, these are two third graders, so they're in the same grade, which is always helpful for planning if you can pull them children from the same grade. And they have not, they have similar goals. You know, the girl who is working on improving her intelligibility by using some compensatory strategies needs to have an opportunity to be understood. She needs somebody to tell her if she's being effective in her communication. Right. And she and I worked together individually for a number of months to perfect her strategies. You know, we used actually some fluency enhancing strategies. We use easy speech. Mm. We use large articulatory movements. So she's really having to move her tongue and move her lips and her jaw to exaggerate those movements to change the oral cavity as much as possible. Because let me just make sure people know, she's, this is child has got a fluency issue. No, no. But that's a great idea. She well, has severe articulation issues. Yes. And she would, because of the shape of her oral cavity and difficulties that she had making sounds that are different. And also, she doesn't get good velopharyngeal closure. Right. No, so she's yeah. hypernasal. Does she get any velopharyngeal closure? Or is, there, I thought, is there nerve damage? I or? don't know that. It's very little. Uh, yeah, it's very little. And so her sounds are nasalized yep. um, in addition to the other things that are going on. So one of the strategies that she was used was to use glottal stops. Oh, yeah. To replace most of the other stops that she was using. And so we used easy speech to try to relax those the vocal folds. That is such a good so idea. Air moving through. And then the larger articulatory movement so that she would change in the shape of her oral cavity, even though she couldn't get that velopharyngeal closure. And the sound was still going to come out through her mouth and her nose. But if she can really have some bigger changes in it, in the oral cavity, that changes the quality of the sound. And then slowing her rate of speech because she has so much to say, she just... Whoo, 
She's in charge. She's talking to you. Yeah. Oh, she's way in mm-hmm. charge. I'm so, surprised she's not like getting a paycheck from the school yet when the kid's in charge. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, she's, but she amazes I, me. She, she is she, wonderful. She's she amazing. is. But at some point they were looking at an obturator for her. But when I heard her speech just with you a few, like just a month or two ago, it was, it was amazing. Really, she's, she amazing. really has shown a lot of improvement. So she and I really worked together at first to identify what are the barriers for her to communication. Right. So I had observed her and come up with some of my thoughts about that. And then she and I talked about, she's very smart. Oh, and she, and she knows thoughts. exactly yeah. what's going <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. And so we talked about what are the barriers for communication and how could we do differently. And then we tried some different strategies and these three really worked for her. So we worked and practice them individually at first, but ultimately the goal is for her to use them with peer in her classroom. So then the decision came that we needed to pull in a peer for her to get feedback from. So I ask this in interview questions. I ask this one question all the time. How do you know what goals to write? And for somebody who's a brand new graduate uh, there, that's a really hard question. Well, I think that the best thing that you can do to try to create goals or to write goals that you think are going to be productive is to think about how do I see this child moving forward? Mm-hmm. Um, what can they do right now yep. and developmentally what's next and how much time and effort do I think is going to be needed from the child and from me to move to the next step and the next step. Do I think that um, the child is going to improve quickly? If so, then I might be looking, you know, if we're working just in isolation on a sound, but the child is very stimulable and they're doing, right. a, you know, easily able to create that, then I'm probably going to write a goal that phrases sentence. Whereas if I have a child, you know, who's working on K and G, for example, oh, it can be so hard and we can't even get it with I tongue mean. depressor and, you know, putting in different places in the, the word. And Super glue. We just, yeah. <laughs> so in that case, I'm probably going to write a goal where I'm going to be working on isolation and then you know, syllables and words, perhaps, depending on the child's needs. So. But what you're talking about with your group is you mm-hmm. did a observe, you did an assessment, really. Yes. And then you got the input that you needed. Right. So really, there was a plan. Yeah. And then how you're going to do it is an organized way that you're carrying it out because you just described all that stuff then. So if you're thinking about how to start this off successfully, you had a plan yes. and you're organized. Absolutely. And for and she really was what drove the formulation of this particular group. So it's appropriate, I think, to talk about her first mm-hmm. because at that point, you know, we got to the point where she could use the strategies independently and she would tell me what she needed to do. And so we got to the point where we needed that peer feedback for her. Yes. And so I thought, well, who do I see on my caseload who I thought would be patient and listen and would be a good dynamic, good person to interact with her. She could enjoy their interaction. So this yeah. young man was my choice for that. Because he is a very kind and sweet boy who does listen and tries hard. And she's definitely in charge. Yes. And she's so he's definitely trying to compete with that. <laughs> but he held her accountable. He really likes it. Mm-hmm. He enjoys the opportunity to kind of be the buddy. Yeah. To have this chance to be kind of to be kind of special because he's having to learn how to listen to her. And then by listening to her, he's also having to, to think about Mm-hmm. how he's constructing his message. And the way you facilitated the group, because they had their own little good dynamic going on, mm-hmm. where it was, they both were pretty independent in terms of the activity. You just had to sort of set it up, and they knew what to do. So that was all good, and that kept it fun. But you kept facilitating, but he did hold her accountable. Yes. Especially, you nudged him a couple times, but, but you definitely were guiding. But that was so 
perfect because it just was teaching him how to hold her accountable, but then how to be accountable too, and how to keep his speech clear too, because then, because she didn't have a problem holding him accountable at all. Like she was good. No. And yeah. he, and she was good he one question wrong. And I was huh. like, well, should we give him this one? You know, we just got started. Should we give him this one? And she said, no, no, <laughs> she no. wasn't having it. No. <laughs> so in this situation, then she needs to, for example, give a clue or read a sentence or a descriptive sentence and something that he has to listen and understand and then use that information. Yeah. So I think for that particular activity, they were giving clues. So mm-hmm. for example, it's something we drink, it's white, it comes from a cow. Mm-hmm. What is it? Right. And so they were having to listen closely to each other to get the answer correct and then move on with their game, get a game piece and then collect see who has the most game pieces. Yep. at the end. When he couldn't understand her, then he really had to have it because he had to have the clues. Right. It was good. He had to repeat back to her what he heard. Yep. And if it was incorrect, then she would try yes, again. Sir. And so then I would ask him, say, okay, so what did she do that was different that helped you to understand her? Or I would turn to her and say, okay, so what did you do differently this time that helped him to understand you? So then it's raising both of their metalinguistic awareness and their self-monitoring skills in addition to the opportunities to practice our specific goals. So I Our first takeaway from this podcast from people who are listening is if you're to have an effective group, Mm -hmm. you've got to plan and organize. Yes. Because you talked about that. Absolutely. And then second thing you talked about is really there's, they're holding each other accountable. How do you want to name that second characteristic? What we need to do is establish our expectations, Mm -hmm. not just how do we have an interaction? We take turns, we listen. Mm -hmm. You know, for some kids, you have to go back to that early and often with those expectations. But also the students need to know what are we doing and what are, what are we working for? What are our goals? These clients both knew and understood why we were doing what we were doing. You know, I think even in third grade, it's really important because they yeah. know in third grade. Absolutely. You know, it's and then you're kind of building the whole, you're getting them involved with it so they know, hey, am I getting better? Am I not? And so eventually mm-hmm. so that they know that we're going to get out of speech. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal is for them to take ownership of their mm-hmm. skills, of their communication, of, of what we're doing, and for me to back off. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You, and you could see that in your group, the way that you did, because you were pulling back in some places, and then you were, when they kind of were losing their way mm-hmm. a little bit, you'd get more involved, but then you quickly would be take a more of a facilitator role, which is how right. it is. So really, I think we've come up with a few good takeaways so far, right? Um, be organized or plan ahead. Um, establish our expectations. I think a fourth one um, would be to make sure you're connected it to the classroom, communicating with teachers, with parents, so that there can be more carryover. Yep, because it's functional, like it's a functional activity. So yep. with this one particular client, I had seen this little girl a year ago, I at least heard her talk. I didn't see her as therapy, but I, was, I had heard her talk and she sounded so yeah. much better. So obviously all the stuff that you were doing with her, functional, or she would have gotten that much better mm-hmm. and because it was significant. I mean, she was her intelligibility is markedly different in that year's yeah. time. And it, it obviously it was functional and directly applicable to her real life. And it sure. was making sense to her or she wouldn't have gotten that much better. Yeah, absolutely. And we made sure that we keep the teacher involved too. Yeah. So she would, you know, once she was having success with using the strategies in the therapy room, I talked to her teacher about it and I had her talk to her teacher and describe the strategies. I also have had this child's mom come and sit in the session so that she could kind of see what, what are some of the strategies we're doing to promote that carryover. Well, it must be the same for the little fella too, because his speech sounded fantastic as well. And he was doing great with his language stuff. Yeah, he's doing good. And so, and honestly, Nikki, I think that's probably another podcast is just how to also engage the teachers and oh, parents sure, and therapy strategies. But I think that's for this podcast today, I think saying, hey, look, you know, how you connect it back to the classroom, how you make it functional, how you make, put it in real time and keep the 
teachers involved, that is key element of an effective group. Absolutely. And lastly, mm-hmm. it has to be, like you said earlier, fun. fun. It needs to be fun. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, working with children here. And if you're having fun, the kids are having fun, then you can be more effective. You can get more trials generally. You know, as the kids get older, you can do more structured kinds of things too. But, you know, if, if there is true enjoyment and engagement, then I think you can be more effective. The kids in that group were just intrinsically mm-hmm. helping each other so nicely. Do you have any special like tips on how you get the kids to help one another that well? I mean, did that just happen or did you have to teach that? Or? Oh, it did not just happen. <laughs> yeah. It was something you, that... What did you do to help them get there? Well, you know, at first when we pulled in the young man to be part of our group, he would look at me and be like, what did she say? <laughs> and I would say, ask her. And so then he would turn and go, what did you say? (laughs) And so after a while, it became less me having to prompt him. And then she would repeat it, but she would look at me too. And I was like, you need to be looking at him because you're talking to him. So it was something that did have to kind of be facilitated Uh so that they could become more comfortable with each other because although they're both in third grade, they're not in the same classroom. So not necessarily friends or know each other. So we did have to kind of establish some of that relationship. But yeah, I had to establish my expectations. My expectation was that they would communicate with each other. And so I had to reinforce that. And it did take a little while. It was a little uncomfortable and awkward at first. But I had them actually in a group today. I saw them both today. Oh, really? And they were cutting up and having fun and doing a good job with it. That's good. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think sometimes with children with that level of severe language impairment, too, will automatically look to whatever adults in the room. Rather mm-hmm. than because usually the, they're not really being understood by their friends anyway. Mm-hmm. So they always look to the whoever's in charge. So I agree, Nikki. All therapy, I think, should be fun because we are dealing with kids, mm-hmm. you know. And so it should be fun or have a fun element to it. So what are some of your go-to toys or activities that you think maybe all therapists should have? Personally, I think that literacy is very important. And I enjoy books. I like reading books. I like having opportunities to share books that I have enjoyed. So I would say having fairly decent library of children's books or access to the library Mm -hmm. is a good thing to have. I use Pinterest, Teachers Mm. Paid Teachers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) You can mm -hmm. find some great stuff there or even just some inspiration, you know? Yeah, good ideas. Yes. Yeah, some great ideas that will help. There's a particular book that I want and I can find some some good ideas there. I like bingo games because they're fast and interactive. There are lots of great bingo games out there that... You can have ones that, are ones that target language-based goals. There are articulation-based goals. You really can take any activity, any kind of material, and, and flip it around yes. to target what you need based on your creativity and flexibility as well. But bingo games are fun, you know. If we're talking about little kids, bubbles are always an amazing choice. Yeah. Because who doesn't love bubbles? I, mean, I love bubbles. Me too. You know? So that's that's always a good one too. Kids like anything you can stack up knock down and oh, yeah. count and build mm-hmm. things. Even kids in fourth, fifth grade like to build with blocks or Legos, that kind of thing. So if you know, if you have a kid who's having a particularly difficult time transitioning to the therapy room, some of those can be good good for them. Those are good. In summary, so for takeaways for people listening, five things mm-hmm. that make an effective group session in the school. One is plan ahead and be organized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The more organized you can be, the more you plan ahead, the more flexible you can be in the session. So the more you do kind of upfront, I think the more you can kind of roll with things as they happen in the group. The second one is establish your expectations early and often. For Mm -hmm. some little ones, you might be talking about just sitting in your chair and listening and taking turns. But really, the kids should also be aware of what they're doing, why we're in speech therapy, and what are my expectations for their effort and and their work. 
And you're focused on that the whole time. So mm-hmm. those are those are really your goals. I mean, your expectations were, were expectations were accomplished. These goals, mm-hmm. and and then you've laid the ground rules for it, so that anybody watching can observe and be like, oh, well, she's working on that. And then the third thing, keep everybody involved, keep them engaged, mm-hmm. and working together. Mm-hmm. And they're helping each other. They're yep. facilitating. They're listeners. They're active. They're holding each other accountable. They're mm-hmm. accountable. And it really makes that point. It makes your job a lot easier. Number four is communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, connect things to the classroom, teachers. Carryover. Yeah, working towards that generalizability and carryover. Mm-hmm. And functional. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing, which I think all therapy things should yeah. be. Have fun. Enjoy what you do. Gets you up out of bed every day. And I talked to a therapist one time. It was a convention. It was been, this has been a long time ago. And I said, we were saying something about, I can't remember how we got on the topic of paint or some type of paint or glitter. And I said something about, oh, I was like, oh, I really love that paint or glitter. I love to play with that in therapy. It's really cool. And she goes, oh, I really love that too. And I said, I said, but it does make a mess she goes oh well don't let the kids touch it I said what I said what do you mean <laughs> and she, I said well then how do you do it what what now how do they not make a mess and she goes oh they just point to the area that they want me to and then I just put it in that area mm-hmm. I was like oh I'm not having doesn't fun sound anymore. like very much I was having fun but I was like I'm not having fun anymore. yeah it's gotta be fun yeah and sometimes you gotta get a little messy oh yes especially working with children it, I mean it is what it is but it keeps yeah. them like you say engaged and so I believe those are the top five things to take away in a group session that yeah. I, and if you stick with that people you'll be successful yeah absolutely and if it's not then go back to the first point you know plan ahead (laughs) exactly so maybe this wasn't a good plan and that's okay that's right exactly it's okay but you probably learned something from it yes we create the plan All right. So this has been great. Nikki, thank you so, so, so much. It's always a good day when you get to hang out with you. Thank you for having me. This has been fun. This has been fun. I've got more ideas. All right. (laughs) That's right. So I really do appreciate it. Seriously. Thank you. The session I saw was amazing. It was just, it was so good. I have to share it. It was just so good. And you've got, you always have so many good ideas and you bring so much to the table and it's just very fortunate. Thank you very much for having me. Mm -hmm. I I appreciate that. You know, you're stuck in the moment in the trenches and you do it every day. So it's nice to have somebody come in from outside and see and see the hard work and kind of see the progress. I know when it looks that easy, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. So thanks everybody for listening. Um, Nikki and I have loved hanging out with you guys and with each other and talking about this stuff. And you can check out more podcasts on theworkingtherapist.com and at pediatricdt.com. We're on iTunes and Stitcher. So we've got lots of good topics on there. Check them out. So thanks for listening. And I'll catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com. 